Howdy gang, Backcountry and Barbells, Joe Shamanic here with today's release. Uh, it features Mark Livesey from Tree Line Pursuits. Um, it's a great, it's a great platform. Mark's a great guy. He's been hammering um, elk for man, I think uh, a long time, um, uh, thirty-one years, thirty-one elk seasons. Um, so pretty cool, uh, cool triathlon background. Didn't get a lot into that, but it comes up a bit with the training aspect of what we get into, but. You know, I, I wanted to push this one ar- around um, now because he's actually got a cool webinar coming out, I think, on the day of this release. Um, I think this is releasing August 24th. Um, check out at treeline underscore pursuits on the Instagram. You can also Google them. You can check out their webpage. Um, there, there's a cool webinar. This this is this has been a course that's um, I haven't gotten as far along as I'd like to in it. Um, I'm working on my hunting plan um, as me and Mark talk about and writing some things down. But um, it is a guy who's trying to pick up a lot of these elk hunting skills and behaviors and plan and tactics late in life. I mean, this course has been really cool. Um, so, so it's a, it's a good chat. And, and, um, if you guys are wondering where Jeremy is, don't worry. We have a really cool chat on the back burner with Jeremy and I, as we plan our hunt in Eastern Oregon. So that'll be out next week. Things are going really well and and we're all getting pumped up for elk season. So it's, you know, I wanted to really push this one out to give you guys an opportunity to hear, uh, um, you know, you, you can hear my exploits in figuring out elk hunting, but it's also cool to, as we did last week, release the Trent Fisher chat where you can hear about other guys and, and their um, actual successes getting elk. So check that out. And um, you know, with that in mind, too, guys, as you're all gearing up and getting ready, don't forget about your feet. Um, Ellsworth Socks, great sponsor of the show. Check them out, Ellsworth Socks dot com um pete and the gang with the two-year um exchange warranty program it's awesome but i'm gonna tell you right now you're gonna be happy uh they're great socks they keep you dry they keep you comfy and um you know you know you put a lot of money into your boots you put a lot of money into your gear and and it's countless times where um it could be a a a blister that's going to ruin your um, your planning, your training, and all that good stuff. So uh, take care of yourself. Take care of your feet. Do it with Ellsworth Socks, the most advanced sock in the game. The only sock featuring patented e-channel technology. And when you do, guys, use uh, code B and B20 to save. Yeah, 20%. It's always nice to save some money, even on a product. Um, you can exchange back for another one. So uh, check it out, guys. But um, hey, great chat. Mark Livesey. Uh, Treeline Pursuits. There's a great quote somewhere in this chat, and it goes, you know, everyone's a hell of a hiker uh, from behind the mouse, right? So, so rather than make assumptions about how far, or how long you can go, why not put your, your your place into actually planning your hunt? So, check it out, guys. I think you'll enjoy it. There'll be links in the show notes for, um, you know, access to Mark's course and the webinar. So, be sure to check those out as well. But until the next one, guys, make sure you are training, hunting, and living your best life possible and if any way this show falls short of helping you do that let us know we'll fix it but if it does make the mark tell your buddies spread the word and help us get the message out until the next one guys take her easy and happy listening howdy gang backcountry and barbells joe shamanic um joined today by mark Livesay. mark what's going on uh the the uh the eastern side of the west right you're you're over there in montana i'm hanging out here in washington what's going on this morning that's right well i'm doing great we're um Man, it's getting to be late August. Woo. Things are getting exciting. <laughs> this has been the fastest summer that I can remember. I just thought I had more time to to get things done. And I know we've been trying to 
get together and do a podcast for weeks now. Yep, yep. Um, it's been a pleasure meeting you. I'm excited to be on your podcast. And Montana weather is starting to cool down a little. We had a big heat wave there, but we're starting to get a little break now. And it's starting to feel a little bit more like elk hunting season. So Yeah, that's right. You can. I've been going on, like, hikes and checking things out. And I'm trying to, like – guide the family to hikes that might be on the perimeter of like where you could spot critters and get into some cool <laughs> smells and trying to teach teach the kids about sign and whatnot and it's been it's been super fun and it's funny you bring up like this time thing about how much we had like when I got into your course I was like oh, I'm gonna knock this all out I'm gonna watch it once then go back and review it and then the third time through I'm gonna put that plan together well I'm about 55 percent way through the course and it's just funny how when March hit and we pulled our kids out of school and everything went crazy time seemed to to slow down but once I, the family and I this summer have been like screw it man we can't go across country and do big trips but we're gonna hammer Washington we're gonna hike we're gonna enjoy ourselves and we're gonna tighten up and, and we've done it and it's all of a sudden now it's all back to how do we remote teach our kids and elk season and who's my wife and all this and it's been it's been wild man it, it time is sneaky like that bro it's <laughs> it's it has been and we so we VRBO our house. We, you know, we rent our house out in the summer times for, you know, a few weeks this summer. Well, this year with everything going on, I don't know what the situation was with the demand, but my wife and I really weren't paying attention to the schedule. Yeah. And, and we ended up having 11, 12 weeks get booked. Oh, wow. Um, so we've been on the road the entire summer and uh, I've been working on the course and stuff from picnic tables and campgrounds and um we've been all over the place and i've been kind of doing the same a little more a little more under the cover of trying to take them to places i'm planning to hunt as well yeah that's right <laughs> that's right and uh, i've been sneaking some of those trips in too so but it's time now we're, we're um i leave in a few days i mean i start my i start my season uh august 28th Oh, fired up. And uh, I'll be in Idaho for a week, couple weeks, and then Montana, and then Wyoming, and then probably Utah then after that, and then down to New Mexico. Um, and uh, so I've got, a, I've got a crazy season, the most intense season I've ever tried to do uh, in my hunting career. And uh, so we're going to see, see how things pan out. And, um, you know, but I, the biggest thing – you know, I should practice what I preach because my personal e-scouting work is suffering <laughs> tremendously. You know, I, it, it, I was going to say, just not to cut you off there, but it brings me up to like when I got into CrossFit heavy, I used to talk to all these CrossFit guys and gym owners and like all these guys start like CrossFit gyms out of their garage with this idea that I'm just going to train all day and be the man. But I heard from this the guy who runs CrossFit Oahu at the time. He was like, dude, you have no idea what you're talking about. First guy who brought some realism to the situation, a bunch of us coaches. He goes, look, man, the worst thing you can do if you like training is starting a gym because you ain't going to be able to train in that gym. So if you're serious, start your gym, build out your garage, and don't let anybody know where your secret lair is because you're not going to get your time because, you know, people have these delusions of grandeur. You keep adding things and then you, you don't realize, you know, it's like Kelly, you ever watch uh married with children? Sure. Kelly Bundy. Yeah. There's a very famous scene in that movie, at least to me where she's like learning to pass, I think like the SATs and you could see as like knowledge is going in her brain 
other stuff's coming out of brain. That's really important. And I feel like that, like in this modern day and ages, people are just trying to like be entrepreneurs or be good dads or pick up elk hunting. Like I have in recent years, like we just forget that on the back end, you're going to lose something. And a lot of times it's like time or, or what you just said. I think that's an important point. Well, you know, you mentioned before we started that we, we wanted to dive in at some point. We might want to talk about my triathlon pursuits. Oh yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me. So, you know, I, you know, what, just real briefly, I, I, I raced triathlon for a lot of years. And then I decided that I wanted to be in the event business and produce races. Mm. The moment I did that, my triathlon career was pretty much over. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And so same thing. I retired from triathlon, started working 100 hours a week. Every single weekend, I was at races. And, um, <coughs> excuse me, and um, that's the way it goes. So I agree. I totally agree. And with hunting. So, Joe, uh, I want to be clear about this. Let's do it. My wife told me, she goes, now you're starting to do the same thing. Oh, so she tried to warn you. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm trying to be very careful. And uh, so I love doing the course. I, I've really enjoyed it. We'll talk about it. Um, I've gotten as much out of it probably as the people taking it, I think. I've loved all the guys and, and, and women that I've met. Um, that are taking it just the oh the interaction so it's been real positive there and it took me a lot of time to get it developed and I still got a few little pieces to put together but um but I am trying to keep perspective uh I'm not going to get into guiding hunting no way no how <laughs> uh I do like guiding fishing that fish guiding you know, fly fishing is, is another passion, probably number two. So I love guiding fly fishing trips. Um, and so I, I, I do quite a bit of that. But hunting is off limits uh, as far <laughs> as that goes. I mean, we only get so much time. And, uh, and uh, so I've, I'm pretty protective of that. Well, I, and I think that's important. And like, you know, there's where you get into like Ayn Rand books or you bring up the word selfishness or you, you talk about some of these things, there's a moment to be selfish, like, and, and it's okay to say no. And like, even, even the wife and I are having a discussion, like, you know, my kids are growing up a lot more affluent than I was, you know, and that's for lots of reasons. But, you know, I find ourselves at times just saying yes, because we can. And I talked to the wife recently. I'm like, we can say no. We, you know, we, we can take that away from the kids, you know, and, and ultimately sometimes saying no at the expense of like, Hey, I'm not going to take on this project because on the back end, you know, I have this other thing planned that that's for peace of mind or it's a hobby or that's my release. Like, I think that's cool, man. I think that that's something that more folks probably need to do. And, and I think what, what needs to happen to, to just make that a better process for folks. And as we're attacking like the live side of this whole train hunt live project with this podcast, this is where we're starting the conversation. But like, I think you should do like a real assessment about what's important to you at that moment. Like how many of you guys actually sit down and decide, okay, this is my one thing that I need to block out and say, I got to prioritize for that. And it seems like it, it's cool. So how have you like, and it's funny you say that because you're trying to be um, practical about your time, but you're also undertaking like a huge, new business project right and you're also to me saying you're taking on this new big intense hunting season you've ever had right so um what what was a quick tip to to build those parameters where you could protect your hunting seasons but still support 
you know, you said what you have like a new thousand guys you're trying to coach, right? So, so how do you help muck meatheads like me and then still get your own stuff done? That's crazy. Now let's, let's back that up. <laughs> I am not trying to coach anybody. Personally. Oh, okay. now, now it has turned into that in some cases like you, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, no, seriously, there's a few guys that have really, um, and, and yeah, I, I hate to open up Pandora's box, but I probably enjoy that about as much as, and it was very underestimated. You know, I thought, honestly, Joe, I'd put this course together. I worked super hard on it for two years, mm. um, 30 years of experience behind it. I've read and watched and studied every single e-scouting program Elk 101, Corey Jacobson, love his program. Um, Randy Newberg, I, I'm a huge fan of Randy Newberg's. I'm friends with the Onyx people. Um, I use Gaia and Onyx. I've, I've been a member for Go Hunt. I wrote articles for, I've written several articles for Go Hunt over the years. So my point is, I've just immersed myself in this and just basically taken notes for two years with the intention of doing something, but I didn't know what it was. Sure. So I started off with YouTube mm. and some of my videos, I don't know if you've ever, I, you know, I've since migrated those out. They're not available anymore because I've migrated them in more into the course, but I had two, two and a half hour YouTube videos Nice. that were crazy <laughs> detailed. And I thought nobody's going to watch these things. And, uh, but I was blown away with the feedback. So then I started getting so much content, you know, amassing so much content and so many ideas on how I want to approach this that finally it just kind of hit me that this needs to be an actual like university college formatted type online learning type of thing. Yeah. So then, so then I started researching learning platforms and ended up with the one I'm using, which is Thinkific, which has been great. And uh, that really helped me get, organized and get it out there in a way that I feel is a little, you know, is, is kind of a step-by-step -step sort of, um, and you can comment on that. You're, you're taking it. And, um, and I've got a lot of work to do. I'll just be honest with you. I, now that I've done some of it, uh, I went back and watched a couple of my earlier videos and I'm like, okay, I need to go back and re-record that one. Um, I think I've gotten better as I've gone. Maybe I haven't, but um, so I've had to learn a lot of new tools. Uh, I'm kind of an IT guy, Joe, anyway. That's my sure. background. So this, it worked kind of, you know, hand in hand with that for me. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, you know, it, I get a lot of questions. Um, I, I anticipated some. I probably didn't anticipate what I get. Um, just, I mean, guys sending me their hunting spots has been pretty funny. Yeah, you know, I mean, to, to be honest, that was something that I was super reluctant to do. Like, even when I, you know, you put out this question on the forum, like, hey, guys, what are some areas? And, like, and to be honest. I don't really like, mean areas. I mean, like, states and regions. Yeah. Not so much areas. Don't send me questions publicly by areas, guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I think that's right, too, because even talking with, like, um, you know, Okay, recently I interviewed Trent Fisher with the Born and Raised crew. They're yeah. a group that I think is really cool. 
and they're down to earth. They get after it hard, but he made a really good point in our conversation. Like when you get fixated on a spot or even a spot that a buddy gives you or a spot that you've had success with in the past, like you stop hunting and you, you start relying on that spot. And, And in my mind, like when even you asked that question, I was like, I was just like, okay, well, how broad can I do this? And I'm like, okay, right now, because of my situation and having a family picking this up late, you know, not having, you know, a lot of time and big funds, like to me, the best hunting spots are the closest spots. And I really like Oregon and Washington. So, you know, let's just do that and like keep it broad general and just give us some ideas because, you know, in those spaces, there are some unique qualities. This I-5 situation is really interesting in our neck of the woods where you almost, they almost try to tell you there's a species that's different on the west side of five versus the species that's on the east side of five. And then there's a subspecies that lives between both that migrates here or there. But then you get into like biological information, you realize genetically they're all the same, but you can't have that conversation with an old timer without, you know, losing your lunch. So it's just interesting stuff. So I guess what's cool is about your course, like you think you're getting into e-scouting, but then it's kind of like this cool, general, broad, but really specifically useful format to kind of, develop your own system, which I think is really cool. Like, Hey, here's what I do, but try this your way. Well, you know, you said something that Trent said that really struck me. And you know, you're with you, if you're about 50% through the course, you're not even to the elk finding feature part yet. Really? I just did like meadows and I okay. loved it. It was awesome. So now, now <laughs> you're going to start getting into the kind of nuts and bolts. And let me tell you, I, you, I've said this a bunch of times in the course, you know this, but trying to get guys not to skip ahead. Oh, yeah. Yep. And very difficult. <laughs> and with the course format, you obviously can. You can just jump ahead in the curriculum and do what you want. But there's a real benefit of laying down that background. Even if you have 10 years experience elk hunting, like you said, I know a lot of guys that have hunted elk for 10 plus years, Joe, that go to the same spot. Yeah. They've got the hunting camp. They've always gone there with their dad, their buddies, whatever. It's their spot. Dude, those guys couldn't east out their way out of anything. And that doesn't mean they're not great elk hunters. Sure. And that, and that doesn't mean they don't kill elk every year. But most guys um, that hunt elk are not in that position. And I personally don't like that position. I, I've said this a million times in the course. I kill a lot of elk. But I could probably kill a lot more if I went to some same spots year after year. Sure. Like I, I went to a spot last year that was incredible. Two, we got shots at two of the biggest bulls I probably have ever seen walking. And uh, we never saw a single person. There was rubs in there the size of your waist. And no, not going back. It's, yeah. time, to move, it's time to move on. So you got that, you got like, I mean, to me, why I, I get a lot of hunting for a lot of reasons. And from a practical standpoint, from a training place, like I like to train, I like to eat good food. And I'm like, oh, you go down this journey and you realize the best meat is wild meat. But then as the more I do it, I have that hunting wanderlust where, I, again, the same thing where I know where, to some degree, like the first hunt I went on, we know where the bulls were. It was cool. But I didn't even want to go back to those spots. Like, I also want to see new ground. I, you know, I'm interested in finding the elk. I was even telling Jeremy, like, it's been really fun packing out your bulls the last two years. And as much as I want to get my own, I'm also as tuned up to help you get one. Like, I just, I want to, 
I want to explore. I want the adventure. I want something new. And, you know, I could every, you know, every Friday, same thing for dinner. Like I don't want hunting to be like that. I don't want it to be the same trip every year. You know, it's such a, it's such an important thing for me. I want the whole adventure. Well, that's the way I approach it. That, that, and I think if one of the reasons, if I can say this myself, I guess the reason I become pretty good at e-scouting is because over 30 years I've been in so many new spots. It's been unbelievable. That's awesome. And, and coming from Missouri, you know, we talked about this. I, I grew up in Missouri. My first 20, geez, 27 years of elk hunting, um, I lived in Missouri and drove west. Mm. One, two, even three times a year to elk hunt. So I had to have, and hunting all new spots. And now I've been to the same spots, but don't get me wrong. It's not like I've never done it. But you gotta, you got to have your act together. If you're going to sure. develop a new hunting spot and have a reasonably good chance of encountering elk, elk just don't live. A lot of people believe if they're in the east, uh, it's kind of like whitetails, that whitetails are everywhere. You know, they're everywhere. There may not be a big buck everywhere, but there are whitetails everywhere. Every food plot, I'm sorry, every um, farm plot, every backyard, um, every significant acreage, pretty much holds whitetails in Missouri, at least. Mm -hmm. But elk are not like that. You know, elk are, I, I, my guess is that elk inhabit about 10% or less of the Western landscape. So when you start looking at 30 million acres <laughs> in Montana, 30 million public land acres in Montana, and elk are relatively hanging out in 10% of that, you've got to have a little method to work through a plan that can not guarantee, there's no guarantees even in this course, but I call it in the course, you've heard me say it a million times, I'm going to say it again. Multipliers. Odds, that's right. <laughs> Odds multipliers. And yeah. it took me years, Joe, to figure that out, is that I got so focused on burns. I love hunting burns. I still do. But I forgot about northern slopes and benches and saddle areas and i didn't pay as close attention to water sources in some areas and um and then all birds aren't created equal and edge habitats and i really got so one-dimensional that i think for a few years my elk hunting probably suffered a little bit i still you know we were in elk a lot but once i started stacking these odds multipliers together so to speak man things started changing I mean, we're rolling into brand new areas and in elk day one, not every time, guys, it's not, it's not every time, but if you have an area that has several of these odds multipliers that we talk about in the course, the odds are good. Well, I, I can hear you in a, a moment there at the end being kind of apologetic saying it's not going to happen every time. And I think you're, you're smart to say that, but I think what stands alone more than just you um, talking about getting the elk all the time and that it works or trying to kind of back off expectations is the fact that you're still doing it the hard way after like 31 seasons. So I, I, I would just, I would, I would, I would ask you just to hesitate on apologizing for your awesome content in that regard, because you know what you're doing and having done it so long, it, eventually it's kind of like, you know, Tommy Lasorda doesn't have to talk about why he teaches a baseball swing. You know, it's, it's, it, it, it you know, it stands for itself because, he stands the test of time he's produced. So in that regard, uh, 
um, keep that in mind. But um, yeah, so let, let's get right into like the step-by-step of this. And um, I, I want to kind of start from the beginning where, like you said, the, a lot of the course in the beginning is stuff that folks want to skip. And I'll paint you a funny story or an interesting story. Instantly, I wanted to skip. But very quickly, it made me think back to when I first started coaching football in Texas. I came down there from Podunk, Podunk, North Carolina, and I'm on this middle school staff. And on this middle school staff, you support the high school. And we're in big football, 5A San Antonio. And we were pretty much GAs to the high school staff. And then we're talking – the hours and workload were ridiculous. It was the hardest job in terms of work I had to do. But where it comes into play here is during my first summer, we had to sit down for an um, internship pretty much with this huddle group. And the huddle group was software to help manipulate, compress, edit, and produce the uh, cut-up tapes. And we're in this thing, and all the coaches are – pretty much bitching going, I just want to coach. I just want to take the film. I just want to break the film down. And the guy's like, look, man, unless you know how to compress these files, you're going to need, you know, um, all this hard drive space. You have to know what these files are. And where that kind of clicked for me was even when you were talking about how do you convert these files to get them to here, to get them to there, to make sure all your things come together. So I know it's a real hard thing to do for folks, but man, that background knowledge and just knowing what the heck you're doing, it's, it's crucial. And I just to find that relay in my own personal life was really helpful. And I'm sure we can all look back and go like, Hey man, you got to get the fundamentals. You gotta, you gotta crawl before you walk so to speak. So I thought that was really cool. You do a really good job of just, man, do this. (laughs) You have to. Yeah. Yeah. Something that's important. Well, it's funny you said that too, because like the fundamentals, there's, a lot of guys that are experienced elk hunters, okay, they develop a bias to elk hunting, I've found, meaning they have developed a way that they do it. And one thing I've been shocked about with my course is how many experienced elk hunters I have. I, I never thought that this would be that attractive to hunters that have four, five, ten years of elk hunting because – the guys I've ran into in that level think they got to figure it out. Yeah, yeah. And more out of ego would keep them from taking the course. Hmm. It was like, I know what I'm doing. I don't need – Mark's not going to teach me nothing. But when you talk about the basics and you start reading through, you're like, this is how it's going to go for you. I'm, I'm predicting. If you have some experience, including myself, you're going to start reading facing realities. Okay, I know about realities about cutting. I've done it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And then all of a sudden there's going to be one nugget. You're going to be like, huh, I never thought about using hunt parameters in Google earth and exporting them out and putting them in on it. I never have done that. I never thought about that. That one little tip, even though five things before that you think you, you know, you've got a grasp of, there's that one thing you're going to be like, it's going to be a game changer. I talked to a guy last night, at a dinner we had and he goes mark i gotta tell you he goes your course he's a friend of mine so he's taking my course just um and he's a pretty new elk hunter he's a rifle elk hunter so he's not even archery and he's the one that said the hunt he goes i was reading you know i'm taking it taking it i'm kind of zoning out i think i've got most of this and all of a sudden you start talking about hunt parameters and how to do it and i've been trying to do that 
for a long time. I just didn't know the technique. Um, and for him, it was hot parameters. Yep. For, an, for another guy, it's going to be something else. And for, so I guess my point is that there is a fair amount of content in the first few modules that set the stage for e-scouting. And if you believe that finding elk and becoming good at using aerial photos and topographic maps and all the tools that we talk about in the course, if you think that just setting down and just starting to do it is going to be your a path for success, um, you're going to have some success doing that. But you're going to be far better off if you can approach this as a system. Yeah. And, and have a, a pretty detailed, as detailed as you want to make it, um, system. But ultimately, a lot of people lose track of what the real goal with this course is. And maybe I didn't, I've said it a bunch, but maybe I need to say it more, is developing that hunt plan. And when I say hunt, I mean that written out hunt plan. Uh, I write mine out still to this day. I'm working on mine. Mine is a monster for the sea. I have six elk tags mm. in five states. <laughs> so you start looking at five states with three to five hunt areas with multiple different seasons. Um, and the, it gets pretty daunting. And uh, if you just try to keep that in your head, uh, I just don't think you're going to be as, 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 I just don't think you're going to be able to pull it off as well. You know, you can always just do it. A lot of guys, you can roll up into those mountains, park your truck, and just start hiking. And uh, and that's a way to do it. I've done. I've hunted elk like that for a lot of years. Um, and uh, but I think if you if you approach this as a system, and you got a little more strategery in it, and you write out your hunt plan for all the reasons we talk about in the course, um, I have a whole module on why you need a hunt plan. And it seems so simple, but most people, I don't think really grasp why you actually need it. And it's not for a lot of the reasons that people think it's not because you need to know what you're doing. Joe, you know, you're, you're a fitness guy. You're going to relate to this. I've been on a lot of elk hunts, Joe, where I get fatigued. Sure. I get dehydrated. I'm, you know, I'm kind of not out of it, but kind of out of it. And you're just not thinking clearly. And I can, can't tell you how many times I've pulled my hunt plan out. When things weren't going good, I just couldn't figure out what I was going to do next. And I hadn't seen elk in a few days, whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm reading through my notes. And I'm like, oh, look at this spot right here. I, 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 got, a bunch of, <laughs> I got a bunch of notes here. And I kind of forgot about it. Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times that's happened. And uh, so, you know, just one example of how it can work for you. Yeah, well, that makes me, I mean, there's a famous Mike Tyson quote, you know, everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. And then it also makes me think of a famous training quote. And I wish I could remember the source, but, you know, fatigue turns us all into cowards. It's something along those lines. And what we've talked about on this podcast is essentially like when shit hits the fan or you're tired or the weather comes or something bad happens, which let's be honest, if you go out on a week long elk hunt and you're not expecting problems, that's a big problem. But yeah. like the, the thing is you're only as good as your lowest common denominator. So like, what are your minimums and like, how do you raise them? And I think by not your, mem your memory is terrible. Like, look, if you've done a hard workout, you know, like you start with sets and reps and by 
you know, uh, 180, a couple moments into 180 beats at your heart rate or 200 plus, you've forgotten what number you're on. So what makes you think you're going to remember 28 different waypoints or this and that? So how hard is it to write it down and just remind yourself of it? Let's take memory off the shelf. And then all of a sudden to me, you've raised your minimums just a little bit more. And, and that could be the reason you kill an elk. And I think that's super important. Well, I mean, let's just apply it to, you know, to fitness and working out. And so when you go into the gym, Joe, how many times do you walk in there with no idea what you're going to do? Never. I hate that. See, <laughs> I, I mean, that. you know, I mean, what do you end up doing? You end up walking around, yeah. you're on this machine doing stuff, you know, then you go over and do a few curls yeah. and next thing you know, you're heading to your car. Yeah. But when you go in with a list, right. Yeah. And you know what you're working a systematic approach, you know, maybe you're working to failure, maybe whatever you're, whatever, the, but you've got a plan and you're working and when you get done, you're checking it off the list. Okay. And it feels good. It feels good. <laughs> and when I say hunt plan, that's the level I'm talking about. A lot of guys are like, okay, hunt plan. I'm going to write down the places I want to go. I'm like, no, that's not what a hunt plan is. I write down every morning, midday, evening, where I want to be, how I'm going to get there, how long, estimate how long based on the terrain and the steepness and the elevation and doing calculations on how many miles per hour I can expect to travel during that type of situation in the dark, um, what time I'm going to get back to camp, what time I'm going to leave the next morning. Um, and you're going to deviate from this plan, guys. There's no way you're going to follow it 100%. But let me tell you what it will do for you. It gives you such confidence and it gives you such an ability to look forward to what's coming. Yeah, instead it's, of scrambling. It's scrambling. <laughs> and the, one, of the, one of the things that happens elk hunting, every person that's ever elk hunting has gone through this. You're, you don't see elk. For, you, you, you know, you're not seeing sign. Things are not – and you're like, mm, you're just – frustrated and you're you either cut your hunt short you, you pack out early you just start not even hunting that hard anymore you just kind of give up eat a snack <laughs> yeah you sit around camp too much whatever yep. and you start you know you just start having this re regressive um trait that come up on you but anyway by having this written out daily strategies you don't have to do it in order, like kind of like a workout, but man, you've got so much, you can look forward, you can look backwards, you can, you can, I, I lay in my tent, I'm not kidding, just about, I wouldn't say every night, but dang near every night, and before I'm going to bed, I got my piece of paper up in front of my face, Love with it. my with my headlights saying, okay, so kind of check this off the list, what, I did this today, man, I, and there was some good sign, I'm going to reorganize, I'm going to reshuffle a little, but I'm still working and I'm still manipulating that hunt plan, even though I may be deviating, you know, from it. But because elk hunting, I mean, how many days do you get to hunt elk, Joe? How many days? Well, I've been trying to extend it every year. And this year <laughs> is, I've, I try to like add a day. So this year is yeah. cool because I'm extending state. So what's happening is uh, this weekend, I'm going to do opening weekend here in Washington. I'm going to do my first big like nine day hunt in Oregon, which is cool. And then I'll have late season. So this year, if I'm lucky, I should put together, well, look, if I'm really lucky, it's three days. I'll kill one open a weekend, kill one the first day in Oregon, right? That's the goal. But you know, it looks like this year, if I play it right and you know, 
I could get 20 days, but, and I'm super blessed to get it. Like, and I've yeah. had to, I've had to build those 20 days over three years of talking to the wife, negotiating with the boss, you know, all kinds of stuff. So, you know, to me, it makes sense. And I think what you're getting at is you don't, your, your time is, your time is finite, no matter what it is. Why not write some things down so you can take full advantage of it? And what I like too, is this idea that you just said, even about like reading your plan before you go to bed, it sets good routines that are ultimately going to multiply your odds and contribute to your success. And it might be that one little thing that puts you over the edge towards success. You know, it's about efficiencies. guy. Yeah. I mean, it's no different than working out. It's no different than things. It's no different than working your job. I mean, how many people have a to-do list? They work, you know, they get their day planned for the next day so they can jump in there, get it done, be efficient, tackle their task and move on. Elk hunting, if people approach elk hunting like that, um, they would see more success, guaranteed. You know, the reality is 10%, and it's actually less than 10%, kill elk. You make a strong point for that, and I think you're 100% right. (laughs) I spend a lot of time in the course talking about these odds because, you know, the odds are the reality. It's a reality. But unfortunately, that 10%, you've got the Ryan Lampers of the world. You know, my buddy Ryan Lampers is a giant killing freak. Um, I don't know that he's ever not killed enough that I know of. Ryan Barney, I, I can't remember. I don't think he's ever gone a year. So you got these guys that are hardcore, serious get go-getters. They're in that 10%, boys. So your percentage is not 10. Yeah, they're eating your lunch. <laughs> you've got these guys that are killing every year. So I don't know what that number is, but and I'm not trying to, to discourage people, but I'm trying to motivate you in the fact that you've got to stack these odds in your favor so that you can get closer to that 10%. And uh, I don't know a guy, I've never met an elk hunter that wants to kill an elk one out of every eight, nine years. No. I mean, look, I'm, I'm three years into it and I'm, I've been packing out other people's bulls and, you know, as much as I want to help Jeremy and pack out his bull, there's still a blood thirst or there's still this idea of filling my own freezer. There's still like the athlete in me wants to like do this and I'm, I'm fired up. And that, and, and that's where I think that, you know, taking, you know, me being a young hunter, it's been like, okay, what's Jeremy want to do? I need to follow him. But now like I'm at that point where I'm finally proficient with my weapon enough where I'm confident in it. You know, I, I kind of have an idea of what gear I like. Finally it took three years to figure it out. And now it's like, okay, this has been real cool for me. Cause it's finally, now I'm starting to plan things that I want to do. And I'm starting to contribute to camp, not just relying on another guy. And that to me, I think is another interesting odds multiplier. Cause now I'm contributing to the conversation, not just, Hey, man, what are we doing today? That's right. Oh, man, it's so funny you said that. Cause, <laughs> so I'm going to throw some of my friends under the bus here. So I, um, when I moved from Missouri, I, um, all my whitetail hunting friends <laughs> decided they would want to start elk hunting now that I live in Montana. So for a few years there, I had a train of guys coming out here. And um, what ended up happening is – they'd basically be standing around camp waiting for me to tell them where to go every day. Yeah. I said, okay, you guys go here. We'll go here. You go here. I'll call for you here. And I love calling elk. So I really enjoyed it. It wasn't like, it wasn't, I don't want to, I don't want to paint the picture that it was a negative because it certainly wasn't. 
and I enjoyed my friends, and it was really great watching them learn how to elk hunt. But they weren't contributing much other than bodies being in camp um, and keeping me from hunting my bulls. Yeah, you're just and, dudes I'm cooking dinner for. What's up? <laughs> and, and unfortunately, and unfortunately, missing a lot of elk. <laughs> yeah. And uh, but they learned so much, and uh, it, you know, and but now I might get around to what I was getting ready to say is now I have one friend that four years later he's still with me. He's the only one that comes every year, mm. and now he's contributing. Last year he called a bull in for me, um, and my my wife was on this hunt, and my son was standing right next to me, and my friend called in this giant bull. Uh, and I missed the day. I hit a freaking tree, and I was just like, he was at like 15, 10, 15 yards, and um, and I originally called him, and then right when we got ready to set up, he goes, I'll back, I'll back up and call him. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm like, this is not going to, I don't know if this is going to work out. Put your wings on. <laughs> so first time ever, he backs up 80 yards, you know, whatever. Bull comes right in. It was, it was it was incredible and then i and then i let everybody down on my end full uh, experience you've done it all <laughs> so you know but now he is um really in it to win it yeah and uh but one of the things about him joe he's super fit you know he was one of the how we met him and i used to race together in triathlon that's how we met and uh so he still is super fit so and he's my age he's in his 50s so that's not a problem getting up and down the mountains for him. It's it's. but now he's starting to get the knowledge, you know, yeah. and become, so anyway, that was long winded, but you know, I think a lot of guys probably listen to your podcast um, are a combination of fitness slash hunter folks and they go hand in hand, man. Well, yeah. They and that's, it's, it's important. And to me, that's my odds multiplier personally. Like I can do it. And, and, and it's not cause I can do it cause it's magic or because I don't put effort into it or because I was gifted some interesting talent. It's, it's part of the reason I can do the, the labor of the, the, the elevation gains is I put practice into it. And I, you know, I, I take, I take what was cool about when I was good at CrossFit and weightlifting uh, into what I think can then help my training for this. And even that training's got interesting over the years, but you know, and it kind of segues right into your buddy about this idea of being super fit with this idea you brought up with the initial hunt parameter about how long, how far. And what, what I think is cool just to take this maybe, and it also fits into the conversation because now we're writing things down. And one of the first things you should probably write down is how big of an area you should be looking at. And I think what's interesting about training and there's some guys that we've talked to on this podcast. I have a lot of respect for there's guys I hunt with that I have a lot of respect for. They put all this like weight on their mental ability to push their body through something. And I get it. That's a really cool skill to have, but I would rather go into the woods knowing exactly what I can do. And, and, and that's why like my training right now kind of looks a lot like elk season. I'm, you know, last weekend while I was marrying my buddy, I took him out for his mini bachelor party. And the mini bachelor party was we're going to get up at six in the morning and we're going to do this five mile loop. And guess what? It's 3000 feet in elevation game. Like that looks like elk hunting to me. And it's what I can sneak in this morning. And I hit that. We did it in about uh, 90 minutes. Right. So to me, yeah, it was packless. It was with my buddy. 
but still that was a hard hike and and it's a hard hike I've done before but and to me that hike represents um elk hunting so in my mind it's like okay it took me 90 minutes to do that so then it's easy for me to walk out and say okay I felt like this the next day what can I handle in a day what now can I do an elevation gain off the trail what now what I'm tinkering with is playing with pack loads. Can I handle that? Do my sticks help me? So what I'm getting at is if you look at the hunt parameter section of your talk and you take it seriously and you find a way to build that hunting parameter, I think outside of the Google app space and then put boots on the ground, all of a sudden you're applying physical skills to your e-scouting skills and, and you're you're starting to write some things down that can help you so for example to put it in the hunting space i guess as i'm thinking it through it's two days left in the hunt you kind of have an idea where bulls might want to be and then you can look at the map and go shit that's four thousand feet and uh five miles man that's really close but guess what after i kill it i got to bring it back i just don't think i can do that time to focus yeah. on another spot so it's speak more on that and and, and just I, man, that's where the light bulb went off of me. Let's train to sort this out, not just talk about it. So that's where, that's kind of where I took it a little bit personally. And that's where I even developed that little pack plan that I kind of said, hey, this might be a cool way to do this. Which I loved that, by the way. And I think we should um, – I actually wanted to talk to you about this. I'll just do it on the air. You can edit this part out if you don't want to. No, let's – hey, we're do, do we it live. Talk, we should talk about integrating like a little sample plan or a little into the course. Yeah. The, the guys can – download and get introduced to what you've got going on and at the same time give them a little idea and a little structure because you know there's a lot of fitness guys out there that have no clue about elk hunting so what i mean by that is uh, and i know you i'll get to your hunt trainer but i really want to so my friend joe i mentioned this is my buddy from missouri mm-hmm. super super fit triathlete the first couple of years he came out here he was way more fit than me cardiovascularly but I was destroying him because he decided that he was going to swim bike run his way to elk hunting yeah and never put on the pack never hiked in his boots never never did a lot of elevation and man it was a it was totally different for him and he got sore got fatigued got you know you know so applying fitness is not just this just because you're good at CrossFit. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you can be the best CrossFitter in the world, but when you put a 60-pound pack on your back, now CrossFit, I shouldn't say that because CrossFit is probably more aligned to elk hunting than most things, but well, uh, I, I would it's, even... still, it's still different, you know? Yeah, we can debate it, and that's a fun debate, and I love these kind of conversations because, like, and here's, here's where I'll bridge it. Like, as far, and I've had this, I've talked about this in the podcast, like, as when you're the furthest away from your, like, game day, your training could be whatever you want. And that's probably the time to pick up a new skill, to try different things, to experiment. But the closer you get to game day, it should look like it a little bit. And I have like a walk back where about two to three weeks out from game day, the hay's in the barn, like the best is going to be. That's where I'm going to start to deload so I can peak for camp. But that's where I came up with that kind of program. And, and what's interesting is it even took me a little bit. Like I thought the same thing. Oh, I'm a, you know, I can snatch, uh, you know, I can snatch um, at the time, I can snatch 120 kilos, 264 pounds. You know, I can do this Metcon this fast and I, I've done this trail race. But that pack does screw it up. 
I don't care what you said. And what screws it up more than anything is wearing the pack for multiple days and doing some different things. So even my evolution with this is still tinkering. And that last one is just the latest evolution of it where, you know, what's the way I can put in hard work that transfers over to it. And, you know, a lot of coaches want to try to hack your way into standing on a BOSU ball and doing this core stability, but there, that's why I love barbells. That's why I love packs. That's why I love some of this hard stuff. There's nothing that's going to simulate walking uphill with 60 pounds, like walking uphill with 60 pounds. So you know, let's, let's put some things together that look like that the closer you get. And, um, no, that's, that's cool. So, you know, fitness helps, but you also need some specificity paired with it the closer you get to camp. That, that, Exactly. And so, you know, when you get into hunt parameters, it's funny, this is a good segue because what, you know, to kind of define this for your audience as a hunt parameter is I look at hunt parameters as the, basically the circumference or the area that you can effectively and efficiently hike into and hunt and kill and get out of. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Not just, not just hike into, it's kill and bring out of. So there's a lot of things that go into that. Are you by yourself? That is a game changing situation. Yeah. If you're with four or five other dudes, the pack out isn't as bad, but now you've got other things to consider. You're only as strong as your weakest link. Your hunt parameter has to be designed around the weakest link in your group. Okay. Now don't take this negative. Everybody always says, well, Mark, you always talk about getting into the most remote, farthest places you can, blah, blah, blah. That is true. But I have killed a lot of elk a mile from my truck. Yeah. A lot. Um, the key with hunt parameters is not making it big, not making it 10 miles, not making it five miles. The key with hunt parameters is – being honest with yourself and working your plan around your capabilities because you can't kill elk that you can't get to. Sure. You can't. And all you're going to do is shorten your hunt, fatigue yourself to the point you can't hunt effectively anymore. You're going to have issues with your hunting partners. You're going to let yourself down. And it's going to be a mentally, it's going to be a negative experience. But if you honestly develop a hunt parameter, meaning let's say it's five miles, and you just work that five miles, and that's your game. And, and then on day three or four, you're feeling great. Things are good. You're having no issues. Your boots are, you got no blisters. Mm. Then stretch it out six miles whatever because now you're starting to understand what you can do in the altitude because another thing that guys you know you might be looking at something that's five miles uh six miles with a backpack and then all of a sudden you're at eleven thousand feet and that's a different story than at washington or even montana elevation sure and so elevation is obviously a big deal with elk hunting and if it's especially for midwestern guys so and I know it's not, there's no perfect science, but if you even acknowledge the fact that you need a hunt parameter, if you accept the fact that you need to establish one and work around it with your hunt plan and your hunt areas, as we talk about them in the course, 
you just you've just increased your odds, Joe. I'm telling you exponentially because let me tell you there are elk five miles from the trailhead four miles three miles they just require some different tactics when they're when they're being pressured you know and we i've been getting tons of questions from washington and oregon guys <laughs> and the same question and i actually got three of them for my upcoming webinar so Mark, I get it. You're doing your hunt parameter. You're doing the zones of pressure. You're getting away from the roads. We, I understand it, but we can't do that in Oregon and Washington. There's roads everywhere. That's There's crazy. This, that, you know, and I'm like, yes, you can. You have to flip the tables. Instead of looking for places that are remote, you've got to look for places that the pressure is going to contribute to your success. You got to look for the places where pressure A, trailhead A, and positioning yourself between trailhead A and trailhead B, where both trailhead guys are potentially helping you. Uh, it's just, it's a little different tactic, but you're still looking for those isolated spots. They just may not be as far away from the road as you would like. Um, but there's a lot of things going into that, but also analyzing the trail usage, we talk about that in the trail, looking closely at how much activity trailheads, how many parking places are at a trailhead, yeah. um, how, how worn down are the trails in the area. Guys, with Google Earth at the maximum zoom levels, you can do a lot of what I want to say estimating. You know, if you look, at, I looked at a place in Wyoming, this parking lot, this trail looked like a Walmart. And I'm like, whoa. I said, okay. I said, I'm not afraid of it, but I got to know that going in. Yeah. How many guys study your trailheads? I mean, how many guys zoom in at the maximum Google Earth and study the parking spots and study how many horse corrals are there? Study how many, what the road looks like. Is it paved? Is it gravel? Is it, does it, does it got dirt? Does it got grass in the middle of the road? Or is it completely worn down? These are all small indicators that can kind of give you some ideas of how much pressure you can expect to see there. It's never a science. There's no science to this, but there are observations that can help you start to paint a picture. And if I was hunting Oregon and Arizona, Oregon and Washington for sake, I would be looking at those kinds of things. I would try to leave from the roads. Don't leave from the trailheads. Don't leave from dead ends. Just, side of the road, no trail, up the ridge into a hunting spot. That's a tactic in Oregon and, and Washington that will be very successful. And I just to keep on that point, I almost feel like too, uh, just to get more more specific, side of the road's a cool point, but just like you were getting at, maybe the thought is maybe it's that road put in should be adjacent to a ridge that is on the other side of a important trailhead because these elk right i mean just parents some stuff that i've picked up in your course you know maybe they're on a great bench three quarters of the way up all the <laughs> slopes are here you know i'm talking like an elk hunter this feels great um, but if guys are putting at that trail well then what are these elk going to do maybe there's a saddle right yeah. that that gets high traffic that they're going to retreat to that other ridge because that's the one cool thing about roosevelt elk um, that are out here on that you know that, that there's all kinds of nooks and crannies so maybe rather than just finding the one with the best clear cut that all the hunters are looking at, it's the one adjacent to 
a busy trailhead on the opposite side and taking that a swing. Well, in these elk in, in those areas, guys, they get used to working around hunters. Yeah. They get very adapted at it. I mean, um, you know, Oregon and Washington has a lot of hunting pressure and they've got a lot of road networks, but the elk seem to thrive there. There's no shortage of elk. Yeah. And it's because they know how to adapt. And as a hunter, you got to learn how to adapt too. So some tips for Oregon and Washington, since you, you know where you're from, just off the top of my head, guys, I would, I would, I wouldn't say I wouldn't hunt from a trailhead. I'm just saying, I would try to find places where I didn't leap from a trailhead. I would try to find places where I didn't leap from a dead end. Dead ends are like hunter magnets. Um, and I would try to go off trail. So many hunters don't, they just feel like they got to hike in on a trail. And uh, you said something earlier. I wanted to really mention this. So look for places you can just go off trail. Now, I realize in Oregon it's thick. I mean, I realize it's the canopies are thick. The underbrush is thick. Going off trail is serious business. And there's also like shitty plants with thorns on them. That that's right. So <laughs> that's where that's where kind of lip hook you. I mean, legit. That's like, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, no kidding. And so that's even Ammonberry, son. <laughs> it makes even more my point. Yeah. Um, this is where you have to pre-plan your hunt routes before you go, because you need Google Earth. You need it at the maximum zoom level. You know, the hunt planners, guys, go hunt. Um, Onyx Maps, Gaia GPS. Guys, those applications do not have the zoom levels yeah. to get that micro detail that you need to do this kind of stuff. So I will plan my routes out, and I'll mark them and trace them, the, you know, through the meadows, through the edges of clear cuts, off trail, so that when I hit the, hit the, in the dark, I'm just following my route, just like I'm following a trail. Now, we're not on a trail, but if you don't plan that out and you just have point A and you're bushwhacking through the bush, Sucks. You, you can do it that way, but it's going to be more efficient, it's going to be more effective, and it's going to be more um, economical for you to pre-plan your route, follow that route in, and have, some, have a method to the madness. But those three tips, stay away from trailheads, Stay away from dead ends, leave from the side of the roads, cross some creeks, maybe rivers, and plan your off-trail routes. Uh, those are key for your guys' areas. No, key. I love it. That that's that's super useful and it makes sense. I mean, and it's something anyone can do. And I love that you bring up that point too. And that's something I was floored about. You know, I got into this, and one of the reasons I even picked up hunting was the all next thing my wife's comfy with it. She can see the spots. There it is. But, you know, diving into your course, it's pretty amazing the difference. And not only that quality of picture you get from Google earth, but the fact that you can backtrack the date, I think is super cool. So you could actually find a picture maybe that's like of the same time and see what's happening. So um, folks, I would, I would really suggest, uh, you know, checking it out and looking into it. I'm going to, that, that'll be, that'll be a number one for this weekend to try to, or for that opening weekend hunt. I think that that's a simple way to do it. And, um, to go back to a, an initial thing too, in terms of like elevation or setting that hunt plan, like the, it's interesting the, everything's wet, you know, everything's crazy, but reading those thermals and de determining what that looks like at different parts of the year is, is interesting to me. And I'm getting like conflicting things like 
this slope, that slope. But if you were even to maybe take that plan one step further, just in terms of like elevation, uh, do you think like you want to be high in the morning, low in the morning? You know, where might you want to be midday, morning, and night? Just in, in a real general sense. Yeah, for me, in a general, okay, now every place is different. But generally, generally, elk will move uphill in the morning because they like, well, one, they'll, the feed sometimes, are, they tend to want to bed high. You've, you've obviously watched my benches module, mm-hmm. or at least part of it. So they tend to want to bed high on the slopes. When I mean high, I mean above halfway. I think three quarters of the way up the slopes is where you want to spend most of your time looking for elk, where they're going to be during the day. Now, where they're, where they're feeding, you know, kind of depends. They could go up through a saddle onto the south slope or something like that, but let's just be general here. Elk will generally move from feeding to water, to food, downhill. Um, and then in the morning, they retreat uphill for lots of reasons. Uh, one, I think they like the high because it, it keeps them cooler, the bugs are less. But personally, when they're moving uphill in the mornings, the thermals are still coming down. They've got them at their advantage. They feel more comfortable moving uphill in the mornings. So um, morning elk hunting, to me, is the most challenging of all elk hunting. Um, when the elk are, are waking up and they're moving around afternoons and coming down, and or just just in general starting their running behaviors you know doing things in the late afternoon evenings i find my success is better in the evenings but in the mornings um you've got to be in position it's in most areas especially early season when it's hot and the elk have been out all night they don't mess around a lot of times and guys that leave the truck when it's when it's light uh, they're, they're, they've just cut their odds like gigantic. You know, being comfortable navigating in the dark, getting yourself into position in the dark is really important for morning elk hunting. Um, well, and I'll, I'll continue that point. Like even talking with Trent, like because of your course, like I've always kind of set these micro goals. Like last year it was like, I want to find my own elk. And I did, which was cool. And I put even a stalk on, which was really fun. But this year, like my micro goal based on your podcast with uh, Brian Call and your hunt parameters, it's like, if I think I want my better shots, I need to be in place when it's dark and be comfortable moving when it's dark. And again, having a plan makes it a lot easier rather than waking up at three in the morning and walking in the dark. You know, if you walk in with a plan, you're good to go. And I think that's a super important point and a specific one. And- Joe, it's even more important in high-pressure areas like Oregon yeah. and Washington. You know, you got to be out there before everyone else. Um, you don't have to be, but if you want to increase your odds, then you, you should be. be. <laughs> um, so I tend to try to position myself midway, okay, most of the time. I'm just saying most of the times. I don't necessarily want to be at the top of the ridge in the morning because I'm worried about the downhill. I'm worried about the thermals a little bit. And I know sometimes how hard it is to get to those places in the dark, but I'm usually trying to find a place where I feel like I'm getting halfway between where I think they're feeding 
and where I think they're betting. And my approach to that spot has to, you guys, you have to avoid the feeding areas. Uh, you can't walk through the meadows to get above the meadows. I mean, so many guys do this. You've got to take the long way and you've got to work yourself into that halfway point um, between the feeding areas. Now, you don't, may not know for sure where the feeding areas are. You may not even be sure where the bedding areas are, but that's where I start. That's where I'll try to be in the morning and putting in some hard effort to get into those positions and have plenty of time to be quiet and let everything kind of, uh, if you want to let the woods kind of surround you, so to speak, so I can listen, I can observe in the dark. And I feel like my comfort level, my motivation, my anticipation, everything is, is, is just on a more even keel when I'm in position that early. Sure. When, when I'm leaving the trail end, when the sun's coming up and I feel like, you feel like you're behind the eight ball already. You're, you're busting your butt up you're the anxious. hill. You're busting your butt up the trail. You're trying to get where you want to be. But I can tell you, Joe, I mean, I, I wrote an article about this on Gohan. And one of the biggest fears guys have is nighttime navigation elk hunting. Even, even in non-grizzly areas, you know, uh, it's just uh, the dark is difficult for guys. They don't, now guys will never admit it. Yeah, well, I will. I'll, I'll conjure up an image. Like, we don't have grizzlies here, but we got uh, big cats that'll butt you right. regular. I mean, look, and it, <laughs> there is something about a break in the woods when it's pitch black <laughs> that's different. And I, I, you know what I mean? So it just is. And it's something that you can overcome with experience, but it's still that's something right. I think you should recognize because things can happen, right? So right. that's but, where but, the pre planning your roots. That's right. You've already gone through Google Earth. You've looked at the terrain. You've looked at the contours. You've looked at the openings. You're getting comfortable. So how many times have you took off through the woods and you hit a little drainage of some kind and you're neck deep in buckbrush and willows and your pack won't even fit through <laughs> and, you're, and you're looking at your phone going, okay, I got to get a way around this. What's the way around this? Guys, I've done it as much as anybody, and that is such a hunt killer. Not maybe killing is a strong word, but well, it's exhausting. Uh, it's a limiter. It's an terrible limiter, and you're going to run into those even when you play in your roots. Let's be honest, but you're going to run into them less, guaranteed. Less. You'll be able to see drainages in Google Earth. You'll be able to see and make predictions and make estimates. And I know we've spent a lot of time on this, but this is a really, really valuable tool. It's planning. I haven't even done this module yet, Joe. This is a module that's coming up. Is planning hunt routes. I call them hunt routes. And of course they can be on trails sometimes, but a lot of my hunt routes are off trail. Yeah. And, and you mentioned before, you said this, I don't know if you mentioned, remembered saying this, but when you're looking at your hunt parameters, you have to think about things like you can hike on a trail probably twice as fast. Oh yeah. Maybe even, maybe even faster than you can off trail. Yeah. Even on the same elevation, same slope, same terrain, just dealing with the rocks and the trees and the logs and the things you're going to encounter, 
are going to dramatically slow your so for me just for i plan two miles an hour when i'm when i'm trying to estimate my hunt route mm. let's say i'm going to a glassing spot if i'm on trail and this and the steepness is reasonable i can i'm planning two miles an hour i know i might be able to do better than that but most cases in order not get sweaty not get just completely exhausted I try to give myself two hours per mile, okay? Two hours a mile. When I'm going off trail, in the same, I'll do one mile an hour. Love it. When I'm planning. So how many guys, that's the last thing I'll say about this, not planners, glassing spots and things like that. Now, I know there's no such thing as glassing in Oregon and Washington, but uh, <laughs> um, if you're trying to get to a glassing spot or an overlook spot, you got to be there before daylight. I mean, I know I've rolled into glassing spots 30 minutes after daylight and I'm sitting there thinking, how many elk just walked in the timber yeah. before I got here? And um, you're just doing yourself an injustice if you, if you don't work on your fears with the dark, if you don't get practice with this, uh, and you know, these hunt roots and develop, these, these help with that. Um, and, but everybody, you can do it. It just, it's, uh, and when you got a hunting partner, that obviously makes, makes things a lot, lot more, uh, I don't know, seems, I don't know why it does, but you seem, you got a more sense of security when there's a couple dudes. Well, we're social critters. That's what That's it right. is. I mean, come on. Who, look, I do a lot of things that are enjoyable alone, right? And right. the privacy of, you know, my bedroom, whatever. But, you know, I got married for a reason. I got a healthy marriage. So a lot of that, a lot of those activities just aren't, you know, there's things I'd rather do together. Right. right? Then I, then, then, then otherwise alone. So yeah, it makes sense. So, and, but two, that's why I think your course is cool. And it's kind of powered me to not only take my e-scouting to a place where not only am I asking Jeremy good questions, but now I'm asking him questions about spots and it makes it conversational. It makes it interesting. And for a, for a new hunter, Again, picking this thing up late and, you know, you're reluctant to ask for help, all these funny things. But your course kind of gives you the confidence to not only plan things, but ask good questions. And, and I found it um, super valuable. And, and even this conversation with you has just been super cool. And, um, you know, I, I'm kind of I'm kind of pissed off because I'm, uh, I'm butted up again. I have to teach a breathing course to sixth graders remotely in at nine o'clock my time. And uh, it's a bummer. It feels like to me, we could talk for another hour and a half. We've just scratched the surface and, and I'd love to do it. Um, but oh, we'll, uh, have to, we'll have to do a part two. Uh, oh yeah. A hundred percent. But what I think would be awesome. Um, we've kind of focused on the front end of things. So I want to kind of give you the last word and you've even given some awesome tips for what folks can do here in, in Washington and Oregon. Um, you know, is there just a, a, I'll give you, you know, you've given me your time in terms of like the last word. Um, you got it, brother. Like, do you want to promote people to your, your course? You want to get people to hit the triathlon, triathlon stuff more? I mean, I want to give you the final word here, you know, uh, to just get folks to take, because my message is like, why not take it serious? <laughs> You're spending all this time out there. Like if you just want to go camping, go camping. You know, if you want to do this, do it. So final word for you. I mean, you've done, been doing it for 30 years. It's yours. Okay, I think that, you know, the last thing I want to tell, you know, you guys, since it's August, is develop a hunt plan. No matter how you do it, just get a plan. Yeah. Even if you don't take the course, um, just get a strategy of where you're going to be, how you're going to be there. Number two, 
have at least three backups guys hmm. don't don't invest in one spot love it one of the worst things that could happen to you is you drive to this spot you think it's amazing you get there and there's 25 trucks there it's demoralizing i've done it now that doesn't mean you're not going to still hunt this spot okay that doesn't mean that i'm just saying it, it can be very detrimental to your mental <laughs> well-being. But when you have these second and third backup spots already worked out, already downloaded on your phone for offline use, all the steps, you've already got hunt plans for them. Um, so remember your hunt plan, okay? It doesn't just include the hunt area that is your primary. It includes your secondary. And like I said, I go as far as five. Yeah. On a lot of, on a lot of the great thing about developing additional hunt areas guys is that you've always got them in the bank joe if you go and you hunt hunt area number one all year and it's a great spot you've got two through five for future years yeah that's right so you're not wasting time or work and um so anyway i i think that going in prepared since we're in august you know you work everybody works so hard on their gear they're shooting their food preparation. They do all this work. Sometimes I don't think they take enough time on the other side to, they just say, I'm going to go to trail A and we're just going to hike in and we're going to kill an elk up there. Well, I think spending a little more time fleshing that out will, will increase your odds multiplying effects. Yeah. And we've talked about it too. Like with training, like I think a lot of people, like the cats out of the bag that like intensity and effort matter in training. The other part about it is like, there should be some aspect of your training that allows you to make a deposit, whether that's flexibility work, body tempering, you know, maybe short anaerobic sprints to flush out the crap in your legs from hitting heavy stuff. So like <laughs> again, that's where I think that the, you're by scouting properly, you're making deposits that are going to contribute to the hunt and multiply your odds. Like you say, not just have all these factors that are going to withdraw, 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 because we know it's hard. We know there's going to be pressure. We know it's going to be difficult. We know the elk are not going to be there. Like, it's just like, but if you do these things, you can make deposits, not just these right. constant withdrawals. So, and, and just, you know, keep a positive attitude. Things are going to get, like you said, you just went through them all keeping yourself positive. Um, and having these, having all these options helps with that. Um, but the main thing is just have a plan, work your plan, just like you would anything else. Yeah. And uh, stick to it. And um, and things will keep, keep yourself in play. Um, don't hang out at camp. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, that's and, it. I'm, uh, I'm gonna as much as I've been trying to get more time in the woods. I think it's that's the point too. Like, how much time can I not be in camp? Right. How much time can I be in the dark? I mean, those are little interesting micro goals that to me, just put more time in the woods looking for elk, not sitting in camp, taking shots, talking about elk. You know what I mean? So it's just like, come on gang, you know? So, uh, you know, <laughs> if you're walking in, in the dark and you're walking out in the dark, you got a lot going for you. All right. That's it. I love it. I think that's it. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's, I'll be honest. I, I think that that's a, uh, that's a great place to close this off, Mark. Um, it's been awesome. If you've been really responsive to Instagram, your platform's awesome. Just tell folks where they can find you. Um, to get to the course, you can just go to treelineacademy.net. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at treelinepursuits. And you can also go to treelinepursuits.com 
and get to the course. I have a lot of articles there. I've got a lot of information about my llamas. I've got a lot of de dehydrating my own food is another big kind of uh, pursuit of mine. So I've got a lot about that on my, on my website. So treelinepursuits.com, treelineacademy.net for the course. And if you got any questions, send them. I love answering them. So. Well, I have, it's funny. I have all these notes that <coughs> pre-show, but now I have more notes from the show. So I have more questions. I'm not afraid to ask questions. I'm not afraid to invite folks onto the show. So uh, be expecting um, another invitation and whatever time we can carve out, I'm going to, I'm going to make it happen because uh, I like talking to guys that do it. You know what I mean? And, and it's cool that you can come in here and contribute your experience, um, you know, to my starter journey here. I'm still on it. You know what I mean? So um, I'm fired up, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm excited to see how your client goes this year. It, Hey, it's going to be great no matter what. How about yeah, that? That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right, man. Good.